Welcome to the Jesus Culture Sacramento Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Banny Leipshire. If you got your Bibles, get them out. We're going to jump in. I want to, uh, I'm actually not going to start a series today. Technically, the last two weeks, what I've been talking about with the generations connecting in the heart of the fathers and mothers moving towards the younger generation, the heart of the sons and daughters moving towards the older generation, um, that whole conversation, if you haven't been with us, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. Um, but, but that conversation is actually going to set something up that I want to begin to talk about in regards to discipleship. John chapter 15, John chapter 15, um, if you were actually asked me if I could only have one chapter the rest of my life, uh, it would be John 15. This is, a, this is a, uh, a passage, this chapter for me is just a passage I love to hang out in. But John chapter 15, starting in verse 12, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says this, my command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Which is a profound statement that Jesus says, hey, you want to know how to be my friend? Do what I command. We say, well, what is it that you command, Jesus? He says, love people like I love you. That's it right there. He says, you know who my friends are? The people that do my commands. And we think, well, is it a list of a hundred? No, he says this. Here's the command. Love people like I loved you. And he says this, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. And then here's the verse. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. The New King James says, fruit that remains. And so whatever you ask my, in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Jesus, I'm asking as we get in your word today that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, I pray you would breathe on your word and, and convict us where we need to be convicted. Challenge us where we need to be challenged. Encourage where we need to be encouraged. Call us where we need to be called. But Lord, I pray that your word would come and pierce our hearts. We're here for you. I pray that your word would come forth. Yeah. And all my Baptist friends said... Amen. Amen. John chapter 15 uh, is a passage for me. I don't know if you've ever had um, kind of a, a moment in your life that was a marking moment but was unexpected. One of those things where you didn't wake up in the morning thinking, I'm going to have a moment today that God's going to give me a gift and he's going to mark me and I'm going to get some clarity about my life. This happened to me, I was 27 years old, and it was 2004, and Earl Johnson, Bill's dad, had just passed away. Earl, Earl was a great man. Earl uh, had a massive impact in ministry. When he came on staff in the early 2000s, uh, he had already been, a, you know, he had pastored Bethel in the 70s, had moved to the district office for the Assemblies of God, was the assistant superintendent of the Northern California Nevada District of the Assemblies of God, was a national presbyter, had overseen missions and campus ministries, had invested in so many things and so many people. And when he came to us, he took on as the uh, senior pastors, uh, as the seniors pastor at Bethel. And he, he, was, he was a very kind man. He had this real, you know, white hair, all white hair, this kind of deep baritone radio voice. And he was extremely kind, but extremely sarcastic. 
Every time I'd go by him, I'm 27, and I had two kids already, but they were two girls. And uh, I, I hadn't had Lake, my son, yet. So every time he'd go by me, he goes, what's going on, boy? He said, I'm going to call you boy until you have a son. You're not a man until you have a son. That's what he'd tell me. He'd walk by. He actually passed away before my son was born. I was like, and, uh, and so, and Cody, I'm sorry, wherever Cody is with five girls, I don't know what to tell you. But um, just tell Cody today, it's not because of lack of effort, Cody. Um, But he was kind of like, he was super kind, super strong, but, but sarcastic. But I remember going to his, his memorial service, and I'd actually, uh, just uh, maybe a week before, I was actually with the family the night that he passed away. I wasn't there when he passed away, but the night that he passed away, I was there with Eric, who was a friend, and Brian. And, and, uh, and, and it was, even that was a marking moment where I was sitting in a, a, a room with his family, his entire family, his sons and his daughters and his grandkids and great-grandkids. And, and, and just this whole family was gathered around him, worshiping Jesus and praying. And it, it was really this beautiful moment. But, but I remember, so, so I had that kind of as a backdrop, but I remember coming as a 27-year-old. I mean, I'm passionate. I want to change the world for Jesus. I have a vision. I am type A. I am driven. I want to fill stadiums for God. We're going to transform nations. This is where I'm at. Still where I'm at, but 27. And I remember coming into this memorial service, sitting there, and having a moment with the Lord that marked me because it gave me clarity on what I want the end of my life to be. I'll never forget sitting there and hearing person after person after person get up and talk about the impact that Earl had on their lives. Nobody talked about the accomplishments he had in ministry. Nobody talked about the buildings that he bought, that, that they were able to fundraise for. Nobody talked to, the, all they talked about was the investment he had made in their life. About how he had given them a platform when nobody else would. How he had believed in them in, in, in tough times. How he had walked with them and checked in on them. I remember Donnie Moore. If you, you know, some of you would know who Donnie Moore is. He was taught, they, they had, uh, Assemblies of God has a, a university ministry called Chi Alpha. And uh, they were doing Chi Alpha ministry. And he would get up and tell stories about how Earl would come and visit their Chi Alpha ministry. And before Earl would come, they would all take a bet on how many salvation stories will they share before Earl starts crying. They said it's going to be one or two at the most. He never makes it past two, you know. And they, they were telling these stories about how Earl would come. And he would come. He would just believe in them and their university ministry. He'd be so for them. And, 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 and I remember sitting as a 27-year-old man. I want to change the world for God. I want to fill stadiums. I want to do great things for God. And I remember sitting there watching the memorial service of a man who had made such an impact on the lives of individual people. And none of them were talking about his ministry accomplishments. They were talking about who he was as a father in their life and how he invested in them. Stephen Covey, in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, his second, second habit is this, begin with the end in mind. The, the principle is this, is that, is that effective people, people that live with purpose, people that live with intentionality, when they start something, they begin with the end in mind. In other words, they have clearly defined not only the direction, but the destination. So whether you, when you wake up in the day, when you wake up, I clearly know where I want to go today. 
I know the destination. I know the direction. When they start a project in their lives that the most effective people, the most purposeful people, the most intentional people are those who actually have the end in mind. And this is what I felt like the Lord gave me as a gift as I sat and watched this memorial service was the Lord was showing me what true success would look like at the end of a life. That nobody's going to talk about the albums that we sold. Nobody's going to talk about the arenas that were filled up. They're going to talk about how somebody impacted their life personally. And I remember just saying, God, this is what I want. I, it was a gift that marked me. I still think about it today. That, that what do I want the end of my life to look like? See, here's what the Bible challenges on. And this is John 15. John 15 is talking to his disciples. And he says, he says, I need you to go love people. But he says this phrase. He says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And here's why I chose you. Because you're called to bear fruit. And then he makes this statement, not just fruit. You're called to bear fruit that lasts or fruit that remains. You're called to bear fruit that will actually be around. You're called to bear fruit that will last beyond you. You're called to actually bear fruit in life that won't be short-term fruit, but that it will last well beyond your lifetime. He says, this is what you're called to do, but this is what I am convinced of, is that when Jesus says we're called to bear fruit that remains, he is talking about people. Before this verse and after this verse, Jesus says this, here's the command I have for you. Go love people. And then he says, I chose you that you'd bear fruit that remains. And then he says this, go love people. That verse is sitting in the context of loving people. I, I, I have a a pretty simple message this morning is simply this, is that I believe God has, a, has given you an assignment to disciple people. And that God has an assignment on your life that many of us are just unaware of. I want to invest my life. I don't want to get to the end of my life. This is what I was so impacted by Earl's moral. I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize I invested my life in things that don't remain. I'm all for you getting boats and vacation. I want you to be blessed. I want you to live like, like I want that. Get boats and vacation houses and all that type of stuff. But what a, what a grieving thing to get to the end of our life and realize I invested the majority of my life in things that aren't even here anymore. Rather than getting to the end of my life and realizing I invested my life in what matters most people and they are the fruit that remains. See, if you're going to invest your life properly, if you're going to begin with the end in mind, it means this. You have to begin to value what God values. One of the reckonings I think that has to come into the church is this issue right here that we are impressed by and value things that Jesus is not impressed by or values, at least in the scope of things that we have our values out of place sometimes. We, we are so easily impressed by human accomplishments and human beauty. And I love it. I think that we should sit and we can admire the beauty of what people have built and created. But we admire human accomplishments over people. One of the privileges that I've been able to do in my life because of what God has called us into is travel the world. Uh, 19 years old, went first time to England and then has been, have been going international since. I've had the opportunity because of Jesus culture to take my entire family all over the world. My oldest, she's 22. She's been to 22 countries. 
And um, we've been all over it. And as we've gone, there's been some really amazing things we've been able to see. And, but I was, thinking, I was thinking yesterday about two of them in particular that are pretty, pretty breathtaking human accomplishments. We were over on tour in Australia and uh, we had kind of a, a few days off in the middle of a week and one of the pastors called me and said, hey, we, we wanna get, we're going to get, we know this guy who has uh, like a, an apartment, it's like a vacation apartment, in this tower called the Q1 Tower on the Gold Coast in Australia. At the time that we went, it was built in 2005 and from 2005 to 2011, I think we were over there in 2010, but the Q1 Tower, which stands for Queensland One, was the largest residential tower in the world. It's that one right there in the middle. It was the largest residential tower in the world. It's over 1,000 feet, feet high. The, the observatory deck, which gives you a 360-degree view of, of Australia and the canals and the ocean. and It's just unbelievable. And I remember just going, you stand out the bottom of it, you look up at it, and it's just the tallest, it's not the tallest building, it's the tallest place where people live. <laughs> Becky has a picture. Becky was with us. She showed me a picture from the, I don't know, right? But we were probably right about there. And it was a little bit unnerving being up there, like just looking down. But it's just incredible. It's this, this really amazing, you know, in 2005, cost $255 million to build. It's this really spectacular, at the time that we stayed in it, the largest residential tower in the world. It was awesome. I remember us going to Singapore, uh, our first time in Singapore, and being able to walk around that city and just see all that's going on. But there's, there, there's something in Singapore. It's called the Gardens by the Bay. It's an unbelievable. This, the, uh, I, we, we, we can't get into all of what the Gardens by the Bay is, but it consists of three gardens. It's a nature park. This is a picture of it. It scans 250 acres in the central region of Singapore. The park consists of three waterfront gardens, the largest of the gardens is the Bay South Garden at 130 acres. Its flower dome is the largest glass greenhouse in the world. It cost a billion dollars to build. But in it, and this is what I remember most about it, was something called the Super Tree Grove. It's these man-made tree-like structures that are anywhere from 85 to 160 feet high, and they're like a vertical garden. It's like a vertical garden, and it, it, it has to do with all the, echo, you know, however all of it works. I'm gonna butcher all of it, but it's just all these things. But, but the other thing is, is at night, and we walk through this at night, at night, at 7.45 and 8.45, they light them up and play music. It's like Fantasia in Singapore. It's, it's really profound. And I remember walking around this place at night. It was amazing. And so if we sat down and you began to say, Banning, what are some of the things that you've been impressed with that you've seen? I'd say I stayed at the Q1 Tower and I was able to see the Berlin Wall and I was able to see, uh, I don't even know what it's called now, in England, you know, the, where they don't know what the, they think the aliens put it down and made the, Stonehenge. thank you, Stonehenge. Like, that's how amazed I was by it. But it's actually, to be honest with you, Stonehenge, Stonehenge is extremely underwhelming. Uh, you go way out of your way to get there, and you're like, okay. Um, so, but, but if you said painting, like, what is it? I, I would talk about the gardens that we saw in Singapore and the trees that were lit up, all that. 
you know if you sat down with God? God who, who created the Grand Canyon, God who created the rainforest in the Amazon, God who created the deserts in Egypt, like that God. He wouldn't be like, hey, have you seen that Q1 tower? <laughs> yeah, Tilly. Larded. No, no, no. You know who you talk about? People. You know what moves the heart of God? People. You know why we don't invest our lives sometimes in people? Because we're impressed by other things. Because we don't fully value what he values. We don't understand that you know who moves the heart of God? People. For God so loved the world. It's people that moves the heart of God. And I think, I think there has to be something. It's interesting because so many people say, I remember sitting down with... Um, we were at Bethel doing school ministry, and there was this small group that I was meeting with. And there was a guy, he's maybe 20 years old. He just wanted to preach and travel around the world and do, you know, that, that was kind of the mode he was in. And he asked me a question because I was able to preach and do that stuff. He said, Is it hard to say no to opportunities? Because in his mind, he's like, I just want to, I just want to go. I want to go do all that stuff. And and we were talking about family. I had kids. So I'm not able to go everywhere because I got kids and all this type of stuff. He says, Is it hard to say no, no to opportunities? And you know what he didn't, what he hadn't experienced that I experienced is I held my first daughter in my hands and had that moment where I realized with all that God's called me to do in the earth, the greatest thing I will ever do with my life is raise this child. That moment. And you don't have to have kids to understand this. The greatest thing I'll ever do with my life is invest it in the life of somebody else. Is to walk with somebody else. Guys, this is the way of Jesus. And here's what it's called. Discipleship. This is the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is discipleship. I'm going to show you this, but you have a mandate, an assignment from God to walk with people, to pour your life into people, to invest in people, to believe in people, to help shape and form them. This is what it is, that, that you would walk with people who would be wholehearted followers of Jesus, mature, with a strong foundation. This is the model we see in the New Testament. I'm going to talk about Paul in a minute, but, but Paul modeled this thing where he had a Barnabas pouring into him and he had a Timothy that he was pouring into. This is the picture. I talked about this last week that, that ultimately as you get older, that becomes a little bit more complicated. But the reality is, is we should have Barnabas is in our life pouring into us, discipling us, walking with us. And we in turn should have Timothy's. I don't care if you've been saved for three weeks, you are three weeks more mature than somebody else. You are three weeks further down the road. I'm going to talk about this. People may feel overwhelmed. I think there is a healthy way, and I think there is an unhealthy way. And hopefully, we're going to help you know how to do healthy discipleship. But the reality is, is I should be able to say, I have people pouring into me, and I'm pouring into people. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. It's called discipleship. Can I tell you this? One of the things that I think got exposed in the last season was that maybe our spiritual formation wasn't actually as strong as we thought it was. That maybe our foundation wasn't quite as strong. And this isn't a negative. I'm not coming at you because I really believe that these seasons, 
reveal something and simultaneously invite us into something deeper. This is Jesus. Jesus doesn't reveal things. Jesus doesn't reveal a lack of immaturity in your life to shame you. He reveals a lack of immaturity in your life because at the same time that revealing is happening, an invitation to go deeper in maturity comes. That's just how it works. He says, listen, I need to show you this so that you can go deeper in it. But one of the things, one of the things, listen, we, 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 we talked about this a ton at the pastor's conference. Pastors realizing maybe the people, maybe we haven't really done our job at the level we thought when it comes to seeing people mature. But here's, and, and listen, when storms came, people were thrown off. Maybe that their foundation wasn't quite as secure. They didn't know their identity in Jesus at the level we thought. They didn't have, they didn't, they weren't submitted to the word of God. They didn't know how to hear from God. Some of the basic fundamentals of discipleship. I know my identity. I'm submitted to the word of God. I can hear God for myself. Some of the basic fundamentals, you could tell like, dude, people just got thrown off. But here would be my challenge. Here's my challenge to our church. I'm speaking to our church, I guess, and everybody else that's watching online. But, but here's my challenge. Sometimes we think discipleship is actually just happens from the pulpit. Now, I, I'm not, I, I don't think I need to preface this, but only preface this. Preface. I believe deeply in the ministry of the preaching of the word of God and the delivery of truth to people from the pulpit. Like I believe deeply in this. If I didn't, I wouldn't have a job. But I biblically believe deeply in this, that we have to rightly divide the word of God, that the delivery and the preaching of the word of God is of utmost importance. But here's the reality and here's what I'm, rec here's what I'm recognizing. That true transformation and discipleship does not just happen because somebody preached a sermon, but that that sermon is powerful when it lands in a culture of discipleship. That if that word is not landing in a culture of discipleship, then true formation, then true foundation, then true maturity doesn't fully happen. I'm going to, the, the social media, which is, I don't know, man, social media is like the Wild West, but um, this will happen a lot on social media with people who are like, like declaring that, that pastors from the pulpit need this, like, and they start coming at that thing. Now, hear me on this, because I'm not coming at anybody on this, but this just happened to me. I posted a few pictures about the pastor's conference. I just posted some pictures of the pastor's conference. I was like, so encouraged by the pastor's conference, all I get. And sure enough, somebody's got to get on there and say, we need pastors who are preaching with more boldness against communism or something. I, I, I forget exactly what it was, but it's this type of thing. Now, here's the deal for me on this. I have a high value for this. I have a high value for the word of God being preached to people. But can I tell you this? I believe that the lack of foundation in the lives of people is not just because the pulpit, would, but not just because there wasn't things happening in the pulpit, because we are not discipling people. Thank you for the three people clapping. And do you know whose responsibility, listen, do you know whose responsibility that is? I disciple people not because I'm paid to, but because I'm a believer. Like, I'm not, listen, here, the, the greatest joy in life, I'll just tell you this, I, I looked at Earl's life, I thought, what an unbelievable joy 
to say I invested my life in people. I want to bring you into a life of joy and discipleship. But hear me on this. So much of the stuff that we have to go after in the body of Christ is going to be manifested in the walking with people. Can I tell you this? There's so much confusion in the younger generation right now. And this is why, guys, this is why the last two weeks have been so important when I'm saying we have to get the generations connected. That, that when the generations get disconnected, the very model of discipleship is broken in the body of Christ because discipleship, biblical discipleship, looks less like the classroom and more like family. Biblical discipleship reflects family more than a university setting. It reflects fathers and mothers who are going to walk with sons and daughters. And grandmothers and everybody else will throw in there. But listen. But it, it's this concept. And so true discipleship looks more like as a family I'm, I, I'm being poured into. Because when I become a father, I don't stop becoming a son. I, I, know, I, I, I become a father, I'm still a son. So, so there's people pouring into me. And I'm pouring into people. This is a family concept. And, guess, and, and listen, it's the older generation that as they move towards the younger generation, they are confused right now. They are confused. They really are. Becky was just at a, a conference, Don't Awaken Love Too Early, that Dean's Church puts on. And I mean, the questions that young people are asking, that they're confused about, that they wonder about. So much of the things that we need to help bring stability and clarity in the lives of people will happen when you walk with them, not just from a 35-minute sermon. I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, dissolve any responsibility from the preacher and the sermon and the word of God. What I'm trying to tell you is this, is that a culture of discipleship is where true maturity begins to happen. Because I have to walk with you. We have to talk about what you're processing. We have to go to the word of God together. We have to unpack things. Are you with me on that? And the questions that people are answered, and, and there is a spirit of confusion and that thing is not just solved from just a Sunday morning sermon. It's solved when people say, I'm going to go walk with people. We're going to go process together. We're going to go talk about this thing together. We're going to unpack that thing. I'm going to challenge you, and we're going to get to the word together. And when I don't know, we're going to go figure it out together. When I'm like, I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. Let's go figure it out together in the word of God. Are you with me on this? And so, so the goal is this. The goal is clear biblical teaching happening from the pulpit, but it has to land in a discipleship culture. And a discipleship culture is people not just to get organized around it, but people that say, God, I believe that you have an assignment on my life and that I am to go walk with people. Who are those that you've assigned me to? I really believe that we need a revival of discipleship. Guys, we're, if we pray for a harvest, there's about to be, I mean, if we, this is a lot of the Jesus people movement. If we really unpack Jesus people movement history was somewhat, some of that stuff got, I mean, all of these hungry, passionate young people flooding into the church, but a lack of fathers and mothers who were willing to walk with them and disciple them. So we're praying for a harvest to come in, but we better have a culture of discipleship. And I'm not even talking about the people that are currently in our church right now. They need people to walk with them. And I understand this can be overwhelming and it, 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 you don't even know where to start, all that type of stuff. Right now, let's just start here. God, give me a value for people. Let me see the end. 
Let me understand that at the end of my life, I want there to be people that said, he believed in me. He poured into me. He walked with me. He shared the word with me. Like this is who he was. And then God, let me value who you value. And then here's what I do. I'd start asking God, who's my assignment? One of the things I think that grieves me in the is the most is just seeing people that actually don't are either unaware that God has given them an assignment for people or they just don't know. My son, he's a, he's a good student. He's actually a really good student. But, but sometimes if he'll miss school, I'll say, hey, are there any assignments that you missed? He'll be like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, you don't know if there's assignments that you're supposed to do. I don't know. Or maybe he'll be like, yeah, there's an assignment. I'm like, well, what is it? I don't know. (laughs) Do you know what I tell him to do? How about you go ask the teacher? How about you email that teacher and ask, is there an assignment I missed? And if you know, if you know there is an assignment you missed, what is it? said, this isn't that complicated, son. Send an email to your teacher because you walking around going, I don't know. Maybe there's an assignment. I don't know. What is the assignment? I don't know. They didn't tell me. I wasn't there. I'm like, how about you email your teacher and ask what the assignment is? Not that complicated. Can I just look at everybody in here and just tell you this? Listen, you have an assignment. Go ask God. (laughs) Email Jesus. Hey, who am I supposed to be pouring my life into? Look at this. The Message Bible, the Great Commission is a people-driven commission. Are you with me on that? Go and make disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. Like it's it's the concept of go and pour your life in. Look at this. I'm gonna read it out of the Message Bible. Here's a message translation. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then, listen, this, this is discipleship. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this day, day after day after day, right up. To the end of the age. Amen. Do you know what true discipleship is? True discipleship is, is it's what Paul says. Paul says, I, I labor until Christ is formed in you. You know what the goal of walking with somebody is? That Christ would be formed in them. Amen. That their foundation would be secure, that they would love Jesus with all their heart, that they would be submitted to the word of God, that they could navigate storms, but, but that Christ would be formed in them. That great commission does not just apply to people who stand behind a pulpit. Do you know that, that there's about 2% of the body of Christ that actually get paid to be in ministry? And out of that 2%, it's only a handful that actually do what I do, get up on stage and preach, teach the word of God. So, so do we think the great commission only applies to 2% of believers? It applies to every single believer, but you will not do it from the pulpit. When he says, go teach them what I, it is discipleship he's talking about. And I think Paul understood this. 
I'm, I'm gonna read this passage to you out of 1 Corinthians 3, but I think Paul understood this. See, I mean, this is Paul. Paul, this is the Apostle Paul. One of the greatest theological minds ever. He wrote half the New Testament. He put in place the structure and planted New Testament churches. That Paul, he describes himself as a master builder. And if you just heard that, you'd think, yeah, he's a master builder. He helped build the New Testament church. But do you know when he's talking about master builder? He's, I think he's referring to people. Look at this passage, 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 10. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. He's not talking about a brick and mortar building. He's talking about people. He says, you, people are God's field. You, people are God's building. And he says this, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and other builds on it. I think when Paul refers to himself as a master builder, I think it's because he's a master builder with people. And you look at all the list of people that he would say, hey, don't forget to say hi to him and him and him and him and her and that and this. And hey, Timothy, I'm praying night and day for you. And, and, and he's giving Timothy instruction. Don't let him look down on you because you, there's all this type of stuff. I think Paul's saying, yeah, listen, God's building a building. It's with people. And I'm a master builder in that process. God wants to build a building at Jesus. Listen, we're going to raise money for this building, right? We're going to raise money for this building. This building is simply a tool to build people. That is it. This building is so that we can be more effective in the building of people in Sacramento. The building of leaders are going to come in from all over the world to be sent back to the nations. We, we want a building so we can have a home to build a family that builds people. But at the end of the day, it's about building people. Worship team, you can come up. And this is my challenge that will walk out for you. This is my challenge. Is that I want to see a revival of discipleship and I want to see people get bought in because I am greatly concerned. Listen to me. I am greatly concerned about some things that I see in the body of Christ. I'm greatly concerned about, about some things that I see with storms and all that. But, but the solution is, is that I, we got to rally people <laughs> to say, go walk with people. Go disciple people. Go get in the word of God together. Speak identity over them. All, the, all those young people that are confused. A social media post from me is not going to clear up confusion from them. You know what's going to clear up confusion? People that commit to them, that adopt them, that walk with them, that wrestle with them, that believe in them. This is, this is the way of Jesus. And I, listen, I, uh, people are watching us online, but for our church... This would be the commitment. Let's go build a disciple. Let's go build a culture of discipleship. I would, I would love, I would love to be able to talk to everybody in our church. Say, who's, who's the Barnabas in your life? Who's the Timothy or the Timothys? We have a, our school leadership. I was talking to him this week. One of the students, she's 19. I said, you're 19. You should go find a 14 year old. It's all, all honesty. You're 18. You should find a 16-year-old. Find a 13-year-old. Call them. Walk with them. Read the Bible together. Process things. Are you with me on this? 
More storms are coming. That's not kind of, I'm a pessimist. <laughs> the great and glorious day. Great and terrible, great and terrible day. I, I, I'm just telling you, I, I'm not a pessimist on this thing, but, but we live in a world that has storms. And so we have to be committed deeply to raising up a body of Christ <laughs> that is mature in love with Jesus. Come on, stand up with me. We're going to just sing this chorus. I, I like to take a moment. I like to take a moment at the end of every service just to take just a moment with the Lord. The reality is, is the seed of the, the word that comes as a seed has to land in fertile soil. And I like to we just take a moment to say, God, make my heart fertile soil. Make my heart fertile soil. I don't want this word to land on a hard ground or thorny ground. God, you'd come and let it land. And Father, I just pray, even as we pray for revival in our day, God, I pray for a revival of discipleship. That as those that are going to come into this house that need discipleship, the world is confused as they come in to find clarity. The world is in bondage as they come in to find freedom that we would be here ready to walk with them. Thanks for listening to the message of the week. Hungry for more? Search Jesus Culture on your podcast platforms to check out more from our Jesus Culture podcast network.